listening to the Sermons Podcast for Ottawa Baptist Church. We pray that you will be blessed and encouraged by this week's message. When I was 19, I was in university full-time, and I was also working a full-time job. And I was living at home at the time. My father and I were in a unique place. We were at this phase where our relationship was starting to transition a little bit, having a 19-year-old adult son in the home. But nonetheless, I was still living with my parents. Let's just say my parents weren't really excited about some of the social decisions that I was making during my life, and some of the tensions started to boil up a little bit until my father finally said, it's time to talk. And that usually meant that he was going to talk and I was going to listen. I didn't really like how the conversation went as they talked about some of the social choices I was making and how there were going to be new rules laid out in the house. I had always had this great respect for my father. I knew that I lived in his home, so his home, his rules. After he was done talking, I went to my room and he went off to another part of the house to do some work. And without him knowing, I packed up all of my belongings, hopped out the window, got in my car, and left home. A few hours later, I got a phone call from my father, and he said, hey, can we meet up for lunch? Poor, starving university kid, of course. (laughs) Let's do that. So we agreed to meet And I can't really remember a lot of the details of the conversation. Two guys, lunch, awkward conversation and potential to... (laughs) But I do remember the end of the conversation. I think my father had realized that I, his youngest, was now growing up. And there were some boundaries and things that were needing some adjustment. And then he was proud of all the responsibility that I had taken on. And at the end of it, he looked at me and said, would you just come home? And I looked at my father and I said, you know what? I love you, dad, but I've made the decision and I'm not coming back. He didn't get upset, he didn't get angry, but he looked at me and said, you will always have a place at home. It was in that moment that I got to experience the heart of a father. The one who looked at me and said, I'm gonna push aside all the, all the, all the failures and all the flaws because I want the relationship with you. It would be over 10 years later before I would really understand the heart of a father as my wife and I began to build our family. But we know that family relationships are important to us. They are those close-knit relationships that unfortunately at times can cause us great pain, but they also can offer us considerable joy. Why do we even have these things called family relationships? It's because God has designed it that way. He has designed family. 
and our understanding of family comes from him. In the Bible, there are lots of different themes that we can kind of pinpoint and highlight from beginning to end. But one of those themes is God's family. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. But before humanity was created, God created the hosts of heaven, angelic beings. And the Bible refers to these angelic beings as sons of God. God created Adam. And in Luke's gospel, he calls Adam a son of God. God works his plan through the nation of Israel. And there are many times in the Old Testament that God looks down and says, Israel, my son. And of course, we have Jesus Christ, the only begotten son. And so that family thread is there from start to finish. But there's also another theme that we find in the Bible as well, that many of God's sons are estranged. There's this separation or this alienation that occurs between creation and God. When we look at the angels, when we look at the angels, we know that a great rebellion took place among God's sons. And they were, many of them, estranged. We look at humanity, we look at the nation of Israel. There is this theme again that many of God's sons are estranged. And for us as human beings, how does this, how did this estrangement occur? It occurred through rebellion and sin. And it wasn't God's fault at all. It's, it's our fault. We are the ones that are responsible for it. The problem is with you and me. You see, I'm the one who always tends to put myself first. I'm the one who shakes my fist in the face of God. I'm the one who's stubborn. I'm the one who seeks to satisfy myself with materialism. I'm the one sitting before my father, telling him I'm not coming home as I watch his eyes Filled with love, desiring a relationship with me. I am that man. Estranged from God by my own doing, running full speed towards destruction. I am a runaway. And that is our story. That is the story of humanity and God understood this reality. He knew all along that there would be a creation that he would love but yet would abandon him. That the creation that he loved would eventually become estranged. And the Bible tells us that at the right time, God sent his son into the world. And so Jesus was a son but he wasn't an estranged son. He was different. In fact, he was the only perfect son that we find in the scripture or ever that would never abandon his heavenly father. And he lived and he walked upon the earth and he began to make this announcement. The estrangement is coming to an end. God was doing something unthinkable 
And Jesus was there to let people know about it. In Luke 15, Jesus is surrounded by people like you and me. And he tells them this parable, Luke 15, beginning at verse 1. Tax collectors and other notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus teach. This made the Pharisees and teachers of religious law complain that he was associating with such sinful people, even eating with them. So Jesus told them this story. If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them gets lost, what will he do? Won't he leave the 99 others in the wilderness and go search for the one that, has lost, that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he will joyfully carry it home on his shoulders. When he arrives, he will call together his friends and neighbors saying, Rejoice with me because I have found my lost sheep. In the same way, there is more joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents and returns to God than over 99 others who are righteous and haven't strayed away. Jesus continues, or suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and loses one. Won't she light a lamp and sweep the entire house and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she will call in her friends and neighbors and say, rejoice with me because I have found my lost coin. In the same way, there is joy in the presence of God's angels when even one sinner repents. So Jesus is in this setting and in their presence, tax collectors and sinners, and even those who are religious, he announces that not only was God outrunning those who were running from him, not only was he seeking out the estranged, not only was God making a way for people to come back to him, but it gave him considerable great joy to do so. It gave him joy when even one person turned their heart to him. The rejoicing that fills heaven when the estrangement ends. This joy, this inconceivable joy would come at great cost. It would mean that God's faithful son would suffer at the hands of an estranged creation. Jesus would be betrayed, lied about, mistreated, arrested, tortured, brutalized, mocked, and he would endure one of the most horrific, painful deaths a human being could ever experience. Jesus Christ was placed on a cross to serve as a spectacle, to be put on display for the estranged to see, to mock and scoff at. All the while, the estranged had no idea that all of the suffering that Jesus was facing would ultimately provide a way for their salvation. After hanging on a cross for hours, Jesus announced, it is finished. And he gave up his spirit and died. The faithful one, the, the one who was perfect, the one who was undeserving of punishment, the one who deserved better, the one who deserved worship, not a crown of thorns and nails in his hands and feet. 
the faithful one, did not deserve ridicule and suffering, but deserved worship. He was dead. The ones that Jesus loved requested that their body be given to him so that they could make provisions for his burial. And the request was granted, and deep despair filled the hearts and the souls of his followers. For days, Jesus' followers were bewildered. How could this happen? We couldn't imagine it ending this way. Is it really over? And all of those questions would eventually be answered. And Luke records in his gospel in chapter 24. But very early on Sunday morning, the women went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared. They found that the stone had been rolled away from the entrance, so they went in. But they couldn't find the body of the Lord Jesus. As they stood there puzzled, two men suddenly appeared to them, clothed in dazzling robes. The women were terrified and bowed with their faces to the ground. Then the men asked, why are you looking among the dead for someone who is alive? He isn't here. He is risen from the dead. So they rushed back from the tomb to tell his 11 disciples and everyone else what had happened. Eventually, Jesus would appear to his disciples and he appeared before them saying, peace be with you. But the whole group was startled and frightened, thinking that they were seeing a, a ghost. And, and so Jesus, what does he do? He invites the disciples to touch his body, to show that he's not just a vision, an apparition, or a ghost, but he was indeed real. And he even consumes food in front of them because they are so startled that he was there before their very eyes. And Jesus tells them in verse 46, yes, it was written long ago, that the Messiah would suffer and die and rise from the dead on the third day. It was also written that this message would be proclaimed in the authority of his name to all the nations, beginning in Jerusalem. This is the message. There is forgiveness of sins for all who repent. And you are witnesses of all these things. Then Jesus led them to Bethany, and lifting his hands to heaven, he blessed them. And while he was blessing them, he left them and was taken up to heaven. So they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem, filled with great joy. Why were the disciples filled with great joy? It wasn't simply because they get to see their friend and mentor again. It wasn't necessarily that they got to witness one more miracle from Jesus. Why were the disciples filled with joy? It was because they knew that everything that Jesus had said was true. Everything that he had declared about himself was indeed real. You see, he wasn't just alive. He was and is life. He wasn't just powerful. He was more powerful than death itself. He just wasn't a good and honest man. He was the truth. His teaching wasn't just this method to make your life better and eventually you could find your way to God. He announced, I am the way. 
And he is the way that the estranged make their way back to the Father. What incredible joy for the disciples in that first century. And what incredible joy for us 2,000 years later. As we reflect on this Easter Sunday. What joy. You know, in our day, there is a pursuit of joy. Or a pursuit of happiness. A pursuit of pleasure. A pursuit of meaning and peace. And we want to transcend. But you know what's funny? We watch people who dedicate their lives to pursuing wealth while neglecting their children only at the end. That they think it would bring them joy, but all it brings them is regret. Wishing, oh, if I would have only spent more time with my family. Why does this happen? You have people who look to satisfy themselves by fulfilling the lusts of the flesh and as they indulge themselves little by little, they discover that what once satisfied them no longer satisfies them anymore. And they need to take more and more and more. And they soon realize that fleshly lusts are never satisfied and many travel down this darkened road doing unimaginable things to other people. You have the pursuit of pleasure through substances where people are trying to achieve something other than the reality in which they live. And then they find themselves addicted only to fight tooth and nail to get back to the place in which they started to be free from substance. You have people who seem to have access to all the pleasures of life and yet they yearn for simplicity. We have people who dedicate their lives to being famous and then what do we hear? They travel to some remote part of the world so that they can go find solitude. What is wrong with us? You have those who have it all run to different religions to bring calmness and tranquility. They go out and seek the advice of wise sages, thinking that there is a secret in the universe that will bring them peace and transcendence. Let me share a secret with you. Creation is estranged from its creator. That's the answer. That's the answer to the secret. And estrangement has dire consequences. And looking in terms of just human relationships, family relationships, estrangement in this round can cause severe consequences. Some research regarding family estrangement suggests that estrangement destroys the original attachment system that people experience with their families. Estrangement causes pain of rejection, triggers chronic illness, creates a sense of uncertainty, can decrease self-esteem, cause a sense of worthlessness, can make coping difficult, can decrease resilience in the face of challenges, contributes to anxiety, depression, and can even damage our physical health. Estrangement leads to a sense of grief and loss, pervasive sadness, loneliness, feelings of being left out, on and on and on, the list just continues. So if that's what we experience 
an estrangement from our natural human relationships. And if this is true, how much more true are the incredible symptoms that a creation experiences from being estranged from its creator? The dire consequences of that separation and alienation from a God who loves us. Earlier I shared a secret with you. Creation is estranged from its creator. But here's another secret. God put an end to that estrangement through the gift of his son, Jesus Christ, for all who would confess and believe. God was doing something miraculous. He was bringing people back to himself, saying the separation doesn't have to be this way. The Apostle Paul puts it so eloquently in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. The Apostle Paul says, For God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. So we are Christ's ambassadors. And God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ. When we plead, come back to God. For God made Christ, who never sinned, to be the offering for our sin so that we could be made right with Christ, or with God, through Christ. And that reconciliation was through the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I'm gonna ask Jonathan to join me up here on stage just for a moment. Today, if you are here and you do not know the incredible love of God and the love that he has for you, my appeal to you this morning is come back to God. God, this very moment, is making an appeal to you through this message. Not because of me, I'm a nobody but because of the message and the truth of his word as a former estranged individual I am here to tell you that Jesus ends the estrangement he ends the hopelessness and he is indeed the only way back to the Father and I implore you turn your heart to him this morning you see Jesus bore the rejection on that cross and it was your rejection he bore the shame which was your shame he bore the brokenness which was your brokenness and he bore the penalty that was your penalty and he bore the sin which was your sin and you couldn't carry it anyways and yet out of his love and care for us he made provision and a way for all of that to be dealt with See, God did not just send his son to teach this new pathway, this, this new philosophy so that we could somehow scan the scripture and adopt his teachings and achieve this harmony with life. Jesus didn't come to just give us the teachings of a wise sage. No, through Jesus, God was giving us something more. He was giving us himself. He was giving us himself. For God 
so loved the world he gave. The question is, will you receive this gift today if you have not received it so far? The Bible tells us in 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sin, God is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all our wickedness. And look at that responsibility to confess that, God, I need saving. I can't do it on my own. I cannot rescue myself. That confession, and look, look at the faithfulness of God. He is faithful and just to forgive us. And we receive that forgiveness. And what does he do after that? He even takes it a step further and he says, you're cleansed. You're cleansed from all the wickedness and unrighteousness. You are right in my sight. Paul in Romans 10 says, if you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. There's the announcement of that resurrection. Why would Paul write that you must believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead? Because if Jesus isn't raised, then we are dead and lost in our sin and our trespasses. And there is no hope. We might as well close the doors to this building, pack up, and leave. But indeed, there was a resurrection. Jesus appeared to the 12, to many others, and the Bible records over 500 people at one time demonstrating proof he was alive. Even appearing to the Apostle Paul on a road to Damascus, Paul soaks in and sees a resurrected Christ and how it transformed his life. And Paul looks at this resurrection and says, just believe it in your heart. Confess it, and you will be saved. There's a beauty in the simplicity of ending the estrangement. If you're here today and you confess Christ at one time, but now there are a few things that have kind of gotten in the way in your relationship with him, I again echo Paul's words this morning. Come back to God. And that same power that raised Christ from the dead is the same power that works in you to heal you, to restore you, to give you life. If you're here today and you are a believer, then this morning is incredibly special for you. It's a moment where we get to stop and think about the reality of the resurrection, the hope the love that was displayed on the cross and the power that was displayed because death could not hold him. If that's you this morning and you are a believer, I invite you when we sing here just a moment just to relish on the faith. I pray that God's spirit will cause a joy to rise up within you, a joy that you have never experienced from walking a life of faith. That is my prayer for you today. We indeed have a creator that loves creation. I know that for many, the last couple of years has been difficult with all of the things that we've experienced going on in the world around us.
And there's a sense at times where hope is gone. People have been cut off from one another. Borders are closed. Relationships are dissolved because of all the tension that exists with everything that's happening within the world. And today you may even walk in with this significant weight that all is lost and hopeless. It is not. I assure you why. They went to the tomb and it was empty. And that is the hope that we have this morning. This is what I want to do. I kind of put everybody in three general categories. If you are here and you have never accepted Christ, the Bible says that you just recognize that you need a Savior. Call out to Him and He will save you. If you're someone who has walked away, I again implore you, come back to God. And if you are a believer here this morning, find joy in the truth of the resurrection. While I pray to close our service, I want you to pray a prayer that you need to pray depending on where you sit with God this morning. And then when I say amen, we will stand and we will sing and we will celebrate that Christ is alive. Let's pray. God, we thank you for the incredible work that was performed through your son, Jesus Christ. God, that you are giving us yourself that you are not a God who is just at a distance, but you are a God who is actively outrunning the runaways. You put us in places where we hear the truth of your word. You put us in places where we get to experience your love. And Father, for those who have yet to experience it, I pray that you would move upon them in a very real way at this moment. God, I ask through your spirit they would begin to see the incredible love that you have for them. And that if there is any estrangement from you, that can be solved this very moment. God, I pray for those who once walked with you and had this vibrant faith, but yet feel as if they are a casualty from living in the brokenness of the world that we experience. God, I pray in those individuals that you would begin to move upon their heart and that they would recapture the love that they once had for you. God, I pray that you would make yourself real to them in this very moment. And Father, for those who are believers, we know that the last couple of years has had its share of ups and downs. But God, no matter what we experience in this world or in this life, we have the certainty that there is a God in heaven who sent his son who experienced death so that we wouldn't have to and so that we could be made right with you and so regardless of what we have experienced over the last two years I pray that your people would be filled with considerable joy at this very moment over the truth that Jesus is alive God would you do a work in us this morning Thanks for checking out our sermons podcast today. For more information on Ottawa Baptist Church, please visit our website at www.ottawabaptist.com.